episode 35. We're talking about purchasing businesses today. She's bought two of them, very sophisticated. You'll learn here in just a second. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna talk a little about purchasing. So my CPA, Cynthia, um, she's awesome. She's educated me a lot on this. Uh, so we've had a couple discussions on a couple of her businesses without saying names of how they evaluate businesses. Hardcore Fitness is one I purchased, so I'll talk briefly about that without specific numbers on how that was uh, quantified and how that was purchased. Um, as well as a couple other situations I've run into. And then she has purchased one from her sister, a dentistry office, and then the second one from somebody about 10 feet away. Yes. Right? An older gentleman. And how that looked too, because I presume those are much different. Yeah. Right? And okay. so, so you, the whole point of that is, is there's a billion different ways of buying a business and ways of looking at it. And you could get, I don't want to say completely different numbers. You could, but but there's generally some yeah some consistency and you just gotta, so you gotta look at it that way. So I'll let you start, you, you share as much as you want with your sister and then I presume you're gonna share a little bit more with this, yeah. with this other one um, and tell us about how that works in a world of where it's really built on goodwill. Me buying Hardcore Fitness, I was buying a brand and some assets, right? That's it. Um, clearly with my experience, they wanted me in there because of that, but they were buying, I was buying Hardcore Fitness. I wasn't buying people that knew Dr. Hart or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So for, in her scenario, she's buying something on a leap of faith because who says that 50% of the people said, I don't like, you know, I don't like her doing it. I want him doing it. And all of a sudden you lose those patients, which is significantly more risky. So in that environment, sometimes, I don't think she did it. Sometimes they would say, the price is gonna be this price, assuming that we retain 90% of the clients over two cleanings or something like that. Um, and then if it's less, then the, you put money in escrow, and then if it's less, the money gets paid out slowly over escrow over say a year or two. Which isn't, that's a that's a rare find. Yeah, that, because um, they don't wanna do that. They want the money right. up front, right? And they so, wanna retire. Yeah, they, want, they, they don't wanna, yeah. They wanna so in her scenario, that was more practical. That's an ideal situation, but it's not always the case. So why don't you talk a little bit about the two purchases you had and you know, and well, educate people on how that looked. First purchase um, was kind of just a slam dunk for me. I had already seen all the patients. Um, I had been seeing them for about a year now. They all knew me. Um, I knew what the numbers looked like. I knew how many patients. I, I could evaluate and directly assess the practice because I was in it. So it was very easy for me to just say, yes, this is what I want. Um, second practice is a little bit more challenging because I was not internal. Um, it was an assessment. You weren't working there, right? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't working there. So it was an assessment of numbers. It was an assessment of numbers based on a retiring doctor whose um, staff predominantly worked off paper um, and had just recently transitioned the, the patient documents and all of the um, financial documents onto a dental program. So hmm. it's a big leap of faith looking at that and going, are all of these things accurate? Did the employees know exactly how to input everything in? Um, and what are we looking at? So I, I requested paper documents to review <laughs> and I requested the, the program, the software. And that's another thing. You're buying into a practice that might use a different software company or uh, software program than, than what you have in your own so office. So that merge would be... So finding out 
um, the numbers might be a little more challenging, as well as merging that patient base into your software program is also a challenge. Um, so I had a broker look at the numbers, um, one who has a dental broker who has experience in looking over all of these things, and to give me kind of what the projections were and what the average patient base was. And then I had a second person take a look at it of, um, a front office receptionist that was really well versed in the software program, used to scheduling, knows where the little glitches are here and there, and looked over everything to make sure that that number matched. relatively matched with the other number, and it did. Um, and then I had my accountant also look it over, and I got the thumbs up on all three, so. How was it evaluated? Was it based on just revenue times a certain, I mean, you don't have to give us exact numbers, but just so it's people. It's evaluated um, predominantly over a patient base. What's the number of patients? Uh, is that your desired number? And from that patient base, um, you know, you have to look at, it's, this is the patient base, but is it active patients? Is it patients that are coming in once every five years that have been inputted into the computer program? So defining all of those details. And then, um, what's the revenue over that one year period of time or two year period of time so that you can, I usually don't like to go any further than two years just to see what is active. Mm -hmm. um, and those are, the, those are the top two. For me, I was not purchasing the office or the, the equipment in the office. Yeah. So this was a slightly different uh, modification. I was merging the patients into my office uh, to help offset any of the overhead expenses of equipment. And so you went off of revenue then? Yes. primarily, but then active real revenue, not right. artificial revenue. Right. Okay. So um, I got the green light on all of them and, and we just went ahead. Cool. And you just get a loan for something like that or? Uh, yeah. Okay. You'll go through the bank, um, get a loan and off you go. And, and this time around the loan, um, I think the, the bank was a little more hesitant, hmm. even though I've had a history of being consistent with payments and, and previous business loans. Um, I think for this for specialties, dentistry, um, veterinary, uh, since the recession in 2008, uh, applying for loans has been far more challenging for those specialties, especially if you are younger like myself. So, yeah, I would say that's probably true from what I've been told too with specialties. I would think that dentistry, though, out of the specialties, would be a little bit more stable. You, you could tell me or not, just yeah. because of the fact of the retention and all that, right? Why, in my world, I would think it's actually a lot more versus like somebody like a restaurant. Because restaurants, obviously, I mean, they close down at, at a 10 times faster rate than dentistry officers, right? So, but irrelevant to that when you're talking about big loans like purchases, yeah. it's just <laughs> not the same thing, right? So. So I've actually purchased a couple of businesses too. One was uh, with GreenGuard back like the first year we did it. Um, one was actually from my partner, so it was kind of like an internal purchase because it was just not a good fit. Uh, that was a little bit different. That was more of like, here's our assets. We're either gonna disperse these assets and create our own businesses or I'm just gonna give you this much money because it was basically, we're doing like 50 grand a year in business. <laughs> so it wasn't really, you know, it was one of those scenarios. And then the second one was this guy that had his own steam machine and he had his client base. Mm -hmm. and we gave him a few thousand bucks, I think it was like 10 grand or something to buy his base and then do it too, which again, at a very small scale was something we talked about. So I had a very small dabble of that probably about eight years ago, nine years ago. Then Hardcore Fitness came around as an opportunity and my CPA does evaluations for a living too. Um, and her and I had a discussion just, I think, two days ago about how they evaluated a business. And one of them, not hardcore, but another business she was evaluating, uh, they went off of something called EBITDA, which is the earnings before interest, depreciation, amortization. Um, and so that, and then they, what they do is they'll add back 
Sometimes they'll add back ownership salaries too. In this particular one they did because they had two owners in this specific uh, business that she evaluated and one of them wasn't necessarily as involved. <clears throat> and so they backed out that entire owner's salary and then just basically gave the, because it, which is good, right? Because the reality is that they backed it out, meaning they added it back to the EBITDA, oh, which is okay. a good because of the fact that they wouldn't necessarily need the two, I think it was actually three owners. And then they, they added back, one of the owners was basically just like the financial guy because his salary wouldn't necessarily matter in the, in the, in the situation of a purchase. Right. So it makes the EBITDA higher, which is good for when you then decide what that's worth. Mm -hmm. So in that scenario, um, three of the owners, two of them would stay. One was like an operations guy, one was a sales guy, one was a financial guy. They backed out the financial guy, which I think he, she said, I just asked her, it was like 150 grand a year or something. Mm -hmm. They added the back to EBITDA. That number, call it 500 grand for conversation's sake. Then they take a multiple of that number based on a variety of factors. Uh, so the earnings before all that stuff is what you get. So if you, they had a $500,000 on average for two years of the, that earnings, that's before they take out depreciation, interest, taxes. So maybe their net was only 100 grand, but depreciation and interest is kind of like fake money if, if, when you start getting into P&L and stuff. So say it's 500 grand. Then they would say, she said, then the multiple was uh, three to one. So that business theoretically based on comps and based on its multiple would be worth $1.5 million. That's the way they looked at that specific business. Um, she also told me based on the type of business you have, building a very important infrastructure, meaning process procedure down to a point where it's Six Sigma, which we're going to do a different podcast about, or it's something where it's ba basically very functional. So when you go in and talk to the, to the office staff and you audit it from that level, they all know the process, they all know the procedure, they all know how things work. And that's really driven. It's not just all on Nate's head or you know Dr. B's head. Then, yeah. then it's worth a lot more because now you can capitalize on you know, changing the staff up, you can right. capitalize on a new owner coming in and not being like, oh shit, Nate knows everything, but when he leaves, he's gone, right? right. And so that actually created an additional one-to-one -one on that, meaning they, that just because of having those processes in place, it created another half a million dollars in value in that business, so it's worth now two. Some people look at it that way, some people don't. It's interesting but, how they evaluated yeah. that, or came up with a, a, a calculation. Well, in service businesses, historically, similar to dentistry, are tend to be worth a little bit more, especially if they're contractually based. Um, one, because if you can show retention and attrition, you can show consistency in revenues, uh, that makes it significantly more safe. Where if you're like in a... why the lack of documentation yeah. was a challenge. Yeah, exactly. It makes it scary, right? Yeah. And so in your scenario, that's where it's a little bit scarier. And um, and in, in this other business case, they were real established, right? So like for hardcore fitness, I can't share too much, but this was purely based on um, revenues. That's really what it was. And then, and then net profits. And so we looked at both and then said, okay, it's gonna be worth this much. We agreed on some type of financing um, and then we agreed on a finance date. Clearly there was a billion back and forths yeah. based on justifications on what, what the, the business was worth because there's cash involved, there's contracts involved, right? You know, how many con how many contracts are coming up? How many people you've sold? Right. You know, future sales versus non-future sales. You know, you know, you could also say people are underpaid or overpaid on job. You know, like, hey, well, you're paying your staff all minimum wage. I can't do that if I buy this business. Or why is everybody getting paid so much? And then, you know, that type of thing. So there's a lot of calculations involved, and then you disagree on a price, put it in escrow, get some type of uh, you know business uh, attorney to write up the, the paperwork, mm -hmm. do it the correct way, get it notarized and be done with it. 
Um, it's a pretty exciting process. It can be extremely frustrating during that during the time of it, right? Especially <laughs> if you're taking a leap, right? And then yeah. and then when yeah. you sign that paperwork, it's a huge sense of relief, but yeah. it's also like, oh shit, what did I just get myself into? There's a lot. I mean, purchase agreements, going back and forth on the purchase agreement, going back on and forth on. In my instance, um, we had the bump in the road of the landlord for our building was moving, was selling in the process of selling, did not want us to. Uh, do this particular transaction, this purchase, be, until after the new landlord. Why would that came. matter? Um, he was fearful that it would deter the new landlord middle of his purchase. So it was posing Jeez. as a delay, even though um, we were already long-standing tenants for ten plus years. That's just to so being over the conservative, right? Yeah. yeah. It was the, the little snafus that just don't let you sleep at night mm -hmm. um, but they come together eventually and if you're determined it'll it'll go through and if it's not meant to be it's not meant to be don't like force feed those things right because then all of a sudden you're stuck in some type of financial obligation and you're like oh shit what I get myself into right so I think personally we're trying to buy a building in Los Angeles right now for Green Guard and one of the better options if you can which is again unique mm -hmm. is to have uh, owner financing right because one yeah. it doesn't hurt your debt to equity ratio as much it's uh, you can be a little bit more flexible with with the terms and the way it's tiered and scaled and all that fun stuff which is what we're looking to do in los angeles mind you there's all sorts of zoning issues and stuff we're trying to figure out mm -hmm. um but that is going to be a lot easier than having to deal with the bank um, yes um assess it from interest rates as well yeah yeah exactly 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 speaking from experience you have yeah. to be careful with that though because you have to pay if it's an owner owner financing building legally you have to pay what market rates are you can't like to say two percent because then it's, right. there's all sorts of laws around not being able to do that um, but but you do definitely have a lot more flexibility that way um, as long as again it's written up legally so you're not just doing this handshake deal which tends to get pretty dirty because people have been paying for I've heard horror stories of people saying I bought a building and then the paperwork wasn't legitimate and they basically just been paying a more expensive lease for the last 10 years right and it's scary as hell so I um, mean it's just because the owner said well you didn't sign this or this or yeah. this or there's some weird wording in it so, so crossing crossing all your T's I worked for CentOS back in the day too and I was part of just conversations for purchasing they, they're big into acquisitions back in the day when I was there my 10 or 15 years ago and they, at the time, paid one-to-one -one for like, say, a fire safety company. Um, and then, so they would look at a bunch of factors associated with what we talked about. Process, procedure, consistent revenues, contracts, mm -hmm. those types of things. Um, I was just recently speaking to uh, somebody um, within that company, I can't say, and I know now they're paying 85 cents on the dollar for, for businesses, right? And that's two, two future revenues. They're a big company, so they can pick and choose what they want because they they're cash heavy, right? But those are the things where they're just going purely off of revenue, but they have to probably abide by certain factors to even right. be justified as a purchasing a, a company to be purchased. And so you can look at it that way too. So, and uh, dentistry can be looked at that way yeah, as well. Right, um, on average, you'll look at anywhere between 80, 100% is on the higher end of revenue. Um, of revenue. And the 100% the is usually because all of the other factors in there line up. So. Um, and yours was different though, right? Because you didn't buy all the other crap, right? You didn't buy the, no. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> all the old, all, all the other freaking equipment and stuff. <laughs> yeah. If he's retiring, I'm sure he didn't go spend 170 grand on a crown machine, right? right. So it's not like, right. you're, yeah. So it was, it was more patient based. You're still buying um, basically all the goodwill, all the extra equipment, but at a lower cost yeah. because it isn't being used and it's, um, some of it was obsolete. He didn't want it, right? Yeah. yeah. 
And so the other thing too, I have a buddy that sold a good portion of his business. I don't know a lot about the sale. I just know that they're, they're doing 70 or $80 million a year in revenue. He sold 40 or 50% of it, got it called 40 million in the sale. But when you start dealing in the millions of dollars, I, I presume if it's anywhere from a couple million all the way up to his level, uh, they're going to ask you to stay on in some form of a capacity as a board member or as a CEO and pay you a salary over a certain period of time. And in his case, I know that he's going to get additionally compensated for the remainder of his business if he continues to have it grow, which is a little bit unique, right? Again, something that you'll see in dentistry. Um, my scenario was not, that was not the case for either practice purchase. Um, but yes, oftentimes if a, pay, if a dentist is going in to purchase a practice, um, they will either ask the dentist who's retiring or, or selling the practice to stay on board for a year or two to uh, smooth over the transition. Um, that can sometimes pose as a challenge mm -hmm. because then the patients still are requesting to see the retired or, or um, exiting dentist. Or the other way around, the associate will start working into the practice and then with the option to buy after a certain Evaluation. Yeah, it's very common in veterinary clinics too, because I was involved in that a couple of times where they'll, they'll have an associate and then it's just a you know three a three to five year transition. plan. Yeah. Yeah, it'll make for a smoother transition. And that that dentist or veterinary veterinarian is like, oh, they happen to be off again today, and so they just start getting yeah. used to it, right? And it's just it's kind of a um, a, a trick to the, the people, but it's just a, a reality behind it. It's a little, at least a little bit smoother transition versus like, hey. You got somebody that's five foot two now today versus six foot four, right? <laughs> and so, so when you're purchasing business, there's a bunch of ways. Valuations is a great way of doing, it, especially if you're in the worlds of like uh, dentistry or even gyms or stuff, because there's so many comps or comparable type purchases that you can make comparisons. If I were to ever sell Green Guard, which is n never in the intention, it would be a lot harder for us to do that simply because there's really very few companies out there our size, and it's like all like John is rather out of the. Yeah, it's a very specific niche, so they'd have to go off of just like a service-based comp. Um, but it'd be you know, but there's always opportunity for. But you just got to look at what you're looking to purchase and just understand that. I was talking to a guy that wanted to buy a towing company like six months ago. And then I said, do you have any, do you have any records on consistency? Oh yeah, well they have the police and this and this in, in contract. Um, you, you know him from the gym, and, um, and I, he goes, but they're expiring in three months. I said, well, what percentage of those is the revenue? He goes, like, 80%. I'm like, no, it's not worth anything then. Like, either wait till the contracts renew, or tell them I'm not giving you crap until they make sure these, because if they're only making 200 grand a year and 150 of it is through these contracts that are expiring, clearly he's doing that for a reason. Right. And so you just got to be conscious of those types of, similar to you, like, yeah. what happens if, if you check the paper versus it and they weren't even close? Right. You would have been up shit creek. <laughs> so, so those are things that, again, due diligence, what we keep telling you, and just being very conscious and analytical about the situations and not just being, oh, it's going to be cool because I'm going to be an owner and it's going to be a sexy thing and I get, get to informed. own a business. Yeah. Get informed. Get yeah. informed. Get informed. It's huge. It's, that's the make or break of your practice or your business. And if you don't want to do that now, you're going to have a pretty hard time doing that in 10 years when things become a little bit monotonous and you get a little bit complacent, right? So. Uh, that was episode 35 on purchasing businesses. She's had more experience than me, but we both have dealt with it probably in the last handful of years. So it's something to definitely consider, or you could look at it in the reverse side of that. And when you ever sell your business, what you want it to look like. So make sure that you create those processes, procedures, make sure you, you do things the right way. So then when it is up, uh, ready to sell, you, you have an exit strategy. So episode 35, Dr. V, she's awesome. Want to do a little t 10 second clip about your dentistry? So people serving the city of Escondido for over 10 years. Um, proud to be an Escondido resident as well, mother of two, married. Um, I love what I do. Yeah, it's a good dentist. I've been there, going there a long time, I think almost 10 years now. 
I think my mom, my dad, I think my sister, a couple good friends. I got like 10 or 15 Bring, people there. We, so. we say family dentistry proud. Yep. So check it out if you want. Um, episode 35, Startup Nation. Thanks, guys.